With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Three, two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here. Welcome in, everybody. We. Episode 3. Yeah. Oh, he's the podcast is Sweeping America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Wednesday, December 30th. 2020 people the final episode of the Aaron Torres podcast in 2020 before we get to today's show I just very quickly I want to thank all of you guys and and I've said this on many occasions throughout this year but 2020 was obviously look it was hard for just about everybody in every circumstance we've talked about it we don't need to rehash it but I am so proud and so thankful for the growth of this show. The numbers stayed steady across the board, improved across the board, even in many months where there were no sports to even talk about. Uh, we got some great guests, whether it was Herschel Walker, Jim Calhoun, Rick Barnes twice on the show, Mark Pope, Hugh Freeze, uh, Archie Miller, Mick Cronin, on and on and on and on and on. And it could not be done without you guys because without your support, listen, people understand that when they come on the Aaron Torres podcast, it is going to be heard, it is going to be consumed, it is going to be digested, um, and, and it means something to come onto this show. And it means something not because of me, but because of you guys, because of the support that you give. And so I just want to say thank you. Uh, 2020, again, was very tough for a lot of people. Many ways it was for me too, not saying I had it better or worse than anybody else, but one thing I am definitively grateful for is you guys and your support. Uh, so yeah, let's get into the final episode of 2020 as we roll into 2021. And a really fun episode uh, today on Wednesday. And what we'll talk about is a few things. First of all, we will hit on the topic of the day, Arizona basketball self-imposed NCAA tournament ban. I hate it. I don't like it. But also most of this is on the NCAA. They got to figure out these investigations. This thing has been going on for far, far, far too long. And then we'll transition to the college football playoff because I think a lot of people, it's going to sneak up on people on Friday when you're hungover, New Year's Day, you sit down and all of a sudden Alabama's about to play Notre Dame and Clemson, Ohio State are playing in the nightcap. So what I will do, do a quick preview on each of those two games, maybe talk a little bit about some of the other games. And then I'll bring on Zach Smith. Uh, Zach is a friend of mine. For people who remember, I had him on in the fall. Um, and he is a former assistant coach at Ohio State, 
worked under Urban Meyer, and we talk about a lot of stuff. We just basically nerd out for 45 minutes on college football, and if you love college football, I think it's going to be a very fun conversation for you to listen to. We not only talk about the games, but we talk about uh, stuff that Zach experienced throughout his career, being on a dysfunctional staff, what do you do, what does Jim Harbaugh do going forward on a staff that uh, he's rebuilding, but I don't think he'll get it figured out at Michigan. We talk about Urban Meyer, could he possibly go to the NFL, what would have to change. So really fun interview with Zach Smith. I I, I don't even think, I know you will enjoy it. Uh, And if you hate Torres, but you love college football talk, feel free to fast forward there. Uh, But yeah, let's get into the meat of the show. And before we do, I want to say again, for the final time, please make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, where you listen, all that good stuff. I read all of those reviews, and uh, I think they're fun, and I appreciate those of you who have been nice enough uh, to leave a rating or review here over the last couple weeks. And uh, yeah, make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And with that said, people, no more time to waste. Let's get into it. Uh, By the way, there's going to be no more time to waste in 2021 either, but we're still in 2020. Let's get into it. And I do want to start with what I believe to be the topic of the day in college sports, and that is the University of Arizona uh, self-imposed NCAA tournament ban this year. And for people who don't remember all the particulars, this still stems from that NCAA uh, FBI investigation that started in 2017. It involved an assistant coach, Book Richardson, giving a small amount of cash to a recruit who is Javon Quinterly, who is actually still playing college basketball at the University of Alabama. But Arizona looked at the landscape and said, you know what, at some point these NCAA sanctions are going to come down and we're going to get ahead of it and we're going to ban ourselves from the 2021 NCAA tournament. For people who are wondering, who maybe haven't been following Pac-12 basketball, and you know I can't blame you if you're not at this time of year, but Arizona's actually pretty good. They're 7-1 and one, and they were coming off a really nice win over Colorado on two, Monday night, excuse me. And from what I understand, this was blindsiding. This was not Sean Miller's decision. This was not his staff's decision. This was not even the AD's decision, but it instead came from above, from the school president. And so Arizona will not be participating in the 2021 NCAA tournament. First reaction, um, this is ridiculous. These NCAA bowl bans and self-imposed sanctions for football and basketball, they have to stop. I think it is the most absurd thing. I think it's the most stupid thing. Um, And the analogy that I've used a bunch here, because it's happened quite a bit over the last couple months, LSU self-imposed a bowl ban, uh, Auburn basketball self-imposed an NCAA tournament ban. What I say is it's like uh, going to your parents when you get in trouble as a kid. You, you, you know, you get caught smoking cigarettes behind the bleachers and you go to your parents and you say, you know what? Listen, I know I shouldn't have been smoking cigarettes. I feel bad. I feel terrible. I'll tell you what. I'm going to ban myself from playing video games for the next day. 
and then we're good, right? And then there's no problem because I just I, I just gave myself my own uh, my own punishment. No, that's not how it works in the real world. Uh, when you crash your car, you don't go in front of the judge and say, "Yeah, Mr. Judge, uh, I'm not going to drive here for the next two weeks, but after that, I'll be good." Right? That's not how it works, and it's not how it should work with the NCAA judicial system. And so, one. I just think it's absurd that we're still even allowing teams to self-impose NCAA tournament bans or bowl bans. Um, and if I was the NCA, this is the one rule that I would strict from the record books right now or strict from the, the rule book right now. You guys know me. I'm not Mr. NCA is evil. Everything they do is wrong. They're terrible, awful, blah, blah, blah. But I do think this is one thing where they have to step in and say no. Say, look, if you want to sit out of the NCA tournament... If you want to not play in a bowl game, that's fine. But that is going to have no dictation on the punishment that we give you. In a lot of ways, I don't even blame Arizona. I don't even blame Auburn basketball. I don't even blame LSU football. The NCAA allows you to do this. Uh, I don't know if it actually helps with actual punishments or not, but... I don't blame Arizona for deciding to do this because it is allowed under the rule book and maybe it will help them in the bigger picture of this entire investigation. Second reaction is, look, I do feel bad for the players. And I know a lot of you would say a couple things. You'd say, Aaron, you just said it. This all started in 2017 with Book Richardson. Anyone who has committed to Arizona over the last three recruiting cycles in 2018, 2019, or 2020, they knew what was coming when they signed up to play at Arizona. They knew this was going to come eventually. I think a lot of other people would say, hey, the NCAA has announced that they are giving everyone a free quote-unquote year of eligibility, so anybody who was on the roster this year who wants to be part of an NCAA tournament team, they can come back next year and compete for an NCAA tournament bid. I get it. I understand it. I still don't agree with it, and I do still feel bad for the players. I think when I look at it from the players' perspective, first of all, I do not think that any postseason ban should be allowed to happen once the semester starts at these schools. So in other words, if the fall semester starts on September 1st or August 29th or whatever, I don't believe that the NCAA should be allowed to come in and say, you can't play in the postseason this year. And I don't think that the school, obviously, as I just rambled about, should be allowed to come in and say, hey, we're not going to allow you guys to play in the NCAA tournament this year. I just think it's totally unfair. If you think that you're, if, if the NCAA is going to punish you or if the school wants to punish itself, do it before the season starts, do it before the semester starts, so that if a player wants to transfer and have the opportunity to play in a bowl game or NCAA tournament, that they can do it and they can go to a place where it's allowed. On top of that, this whole, well, they get another extra year thing. Come on now. We got fifth-year seniors in Arizona that are graduate transfers, 22, 23 years old. Uh, we got guys that, that, that have opportunities overseas that are going to have opportunities in the NBA. Um, and I just think, like, at a certain point, guys do not want to stay in college for a fifth or sixth year. Many of them have already graduated. And I understand, like, yeah, that's something that you have to sacrifice, but why do you have to sacrifice it? If the school wanted to self-impose this punishment, they should have done it in the summer, not in the middle of the season, and again, allowed that grad transfer that came to Arizona to play in the NCAA tournament to pursue another opportunity. Allow those other players to pursue professional options if they want. I just don't like it. I think it's unfair, and I don't even think it's just unfair at Arizona. I think it's unfair with LSU football, although I don't think those guys even want to play in a bowl game. I think it's unfair to Auburn basketball. I'll take it a step further. 
I don't like that it's still happening to Louisville and Kansas either, or Memphis or NC State or all these programs that are under NCAA investigation. And so I would wrap on this topic by saying exactly that. I think it's nonsense that we're still doing these investigations in 2021. And it's funny because, and, and I got it on, on Tuesday when this news broke, but every single time I tweet anything or I talk at all about Arizona basketball, you already know the first thing that comes up in my mentions, in my Twitter, in my whatever. Oh, how does Sean Miller have a job? How does he have a job? Why is he still employed? And like I will say, and anyone who listens to this show, you know where I stand on all this, but I will say again, one, I understand your point of view, um, but I ho- also hope that you understand my point of view, which is that, uh, as I've said many times, I'm not here to defend Sean Miller. I'm not here to fight for him. I'll be honest, I've never talked to the guy once in my life. I don't know outside of a media availability if I've ever even been in the same room as the guy. But as of right now, we have no uh, proof that he did anything wrong. And to take it a step further, I want to say this. I think we're getting to the point where we have to start asking ourselves, like, are we sure that the NCAA actually has anything on Sean Miller? And again, it goes back to what I've said a million times. Don't know the guy, know nothing about him personally, don't know if he cheated, don't know if he'll be caught, don't know if he'll be punished. But what I would also say is, This whole thing started in 2017. This happened in 2017, long time ago. It was so long ago, uh, here's some context for how long ago it was. DeAndre Ayton had just started his freshman year at Arizona. Um, Joe Burrow, the Heisman Trophy winner at LSU, was still at Ohio State. It was a long time ago. And so I'm sitting here just saying, look, If Sean Miller broke the rules, I want the guy to be punished as much as anybody else. But if he broke the rules, wouldn't we know about it by now? This started in September of 2017. It's January 2021 by the time many of you will listen to this. How do we have nothing on this guy? Now, I get it. I'm putting my neck out on the line. We could get something in a week. I could be made to look like an idiot in a week. And as I've said all along, if the guy gets caught doing something, I will say to fire his behind. But I do think it's ridiculous. I do think it's just silly that we're still, you know, arguing about this guy all these years later. And I would take it a step further. It goes back to what I said a minute ago with all of these schools, not just Arizona, but Louisville, Kansas, uh, NC State, LSU, Memphis, whatever. At a certain point, this is on the NCAA to get these investigations done, because if you have something on Sean Miller, then bring it to the forefront. Bring it to the table so that Arizona can move on as a school. They can make their decision. Are we staying with Sean Miller? Are we firing him? What's the future of our program? What do we do? But this whole keep a program in limbo thing, it's getting ridiculous here. It's like the old saying goes, crap or get off the pot, NCAA. And listen, I'm not, I'm not anti-NCAA guy. But I do think those of you who ask me, why have we not gotten any final answers on any of these investigations, I get where you're coming from. You know who wants to move on more than anybody in this Arizona basketball situation? Arizona basketball. The school wants to know, can we fire Sean Miller for cause and go out and start over and hire a new coach? Can we keep Sean Miller? Is Sean Miller innocent? Are we going to get hit with more NCAA rules violations? Because if we are, we want to prepare for it. We want to get going. We want to start the process. And it's not just Arizona. It's Louisville. It's Kansas. It's uh, uh, Memphis. It's NC State. 
And in some ways, I do still, I, I do feel bad for these programs. Now, look, I want everybody to be punished that needs to be punished. If you broke the rules and you shouldn't be participating as a coach or whatever in college basketball or college football, that's fine. I can live with it. You know what you signed up for. And if it's time for Sean Miller to take a hike, it's time for Sean Miller to take a hike. Hopefully, we'll find out in the coming months if that's the case. But again, I would say for the millionth time, if they had something on Sean Miller, I feel like it would have come out right now. Beyond that, let's not forget, this wasn't an NCA investigation. This started with the FBI. So if the FBI gave any information at all to the NCAA, uh, I feel like if Sean Miller did something, the FBI would have caught him. And if the FBI caught him, he'd probably frankly be in jail. But the NCAA would have gotten a hold of it by now and whatever. And I would say it applies to all these other schools too. I don't really know Chris Mack outside of the one time I had him on this podcast, but man, like that guy's just ready to move on from what Rick Pitino did four years ago. Bill Self, I've been critical as hell of the guy. He just wants to know what his punishment is so he can start rebuilding his program and doing what he needs to do. But he's like, dude, I've been in this limbo for four years where it's like, what do we do? Do we move forward? Am I staying? Am I going? What am I doing? Kevin Keats at NC State, that guy's just like trying to build his program. He can't control what happened five years ago with Mark Godfrey, but whatever it is, he wants to know so he can move on. And so my biggest takeaway doesn't even really apply to Arizona. It applies to this entire process of like NCA. I feel like I'm the Judge Judy gif here, the Judge Judy meme, like pointing to my watch, like let's get going here. If Sean Miller's guilty, show us the proof. Let's kick his butt out. Let's let Arizona start over. Let's let Sean Miller start over, by the way. I don't know where he would go, maybe to the NBA or overseas or something. He probably wouldn't coach in college basketball again. But, like, let's get this show on the road here. Arizona's ready to move on. Sean Miller's ready to move on. Louisville's ready to move on. Chris Mack's ready to move on. On and on and on and on and on. It's frustrating, but I do think that the latest chapter, Arizona, self-imposed NCAA tournament ban, it's just ridiculous. I hate it. I would hate it if Sean Miller did it or if Arizona did it. I would hate it if Lu- I hate it when Louisville did it six, seven years ago. I hated it when SMU did it six, seven years ago. Um, I hated it when Auburn did it this fall. I hated it when LSU did it this fall. It's a ridiculous, preposterous concept. But I also do think it speaks to the fact like NCA, let's let's get this thing going. If Sean Miller's guilty, boot his butt out and let's move on to the next guy. Let's move on to the next thing. Let him move on with his life. It's the same with Bill Self at Kansas. It's the same with Will Wade at LSU. And it's the same with all of these situations. But we're now at the point where we're four years removed from these rules violations. And like, we got to get moving here. We just got to get moving. Speaking of getting moving, let's move over to college football. Uh, College football bowl games are well underway. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, Gasparilla Bowl or whatever the hell bowls have been on. Listen, I'm not, first of all, let let the record show. Speaking of being in court, Judge Judy, I want the record to show I like bowl games. I like when it's Tuesday uh, at two in the afternoon and I can flip on the TV and I got Appalachian State versus Boise on my TV or whatever. I'm not the one to ever complain about uh, too many bowl games, but uh, you know, listen, it's been a busy time of year. It's been a weird year. I haven't watched as many of them. But they're underway. I hope you're enjoying them. And of course, the games that matter, the college football playoff, will be starting on Friday. Alabama-Notre Dame, I believe, kick off at, 
I want to say four Eastern time maybe, and then the Clemson game is on after that, which would be like 8, 8.30 Eastern. So really good day of college football. Let's get into a couple thoughts on each of these games. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about the rest of the bowl games, and of course we will get to Zach Smith, Menace to Sports. Really fun interview. You guys are going to love it. Uh, let's start with this Alabama-Notre Dame game. And it's really interesting because uh, when I look at this whole game and this whole circumstance, uh, I think two things can be true about Notre Dame as they get set to play Alabama in this game. I think the first thing that can be true is that based on the criteria that the committee have, Notre Dame is the most worthy team to play in this game. I know we got a lot of SEC fans that listen to this show. I know they're mad. Texas A&M, yada, 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 blah, 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 yeah, go, you know, whatever. My whole thing is that if you take out the one game against Clemson late in the season, and I know it was the most important game that they played, but this is supposed to be a season-long resume, and if you look at the season-long resume of Ohio State, or excuse me, of Notre Dame, it's simply more impressive than, than Texas A&M. More wins, more total wins, won the ACC regular season championship, more wins against ranked opponents, more wins with winning records. Like Notre Dame was the, under the criteria that the committee gives out, the fourth best team in college football. I would have frankly rather seen Cincinnati than I would have seen Texas A&M, but given the criteria, I think Notre Dame was the fourth best team and the most deserving. I've talked about it. I don't have to get into it, but I bring it up because I think two things can be true. I think one, Notre Dame can be the fourth best team in college football, and I still think that Alabama is going to beat that butt. And I still haven't, frankly, talked to anybody that thinks Notre Dame. Like, I, I don't think I've, I, I, I can't ever really remember a game where nobody thinks one team can beat the other in the college football playoff or in a big bowl game. I mean, I remember even dating back to 2013, the, the, the winter of 2013, the 2012 college football season, when Notre Dame played Alabama in the Orange Bowl for the BCS National Championship, uh, I remember even back then there were people that were like, man, I'm, I'm kind of talking myself into Notre Dame. I think they could be competitive. Of course, Alabama beat the brakes off of them, but I don't ever remember a single game where no one anywhere gave Notre Dame a shot, and I'm not going to sit here and try to convince you that they have a shot to beat Alabama. What I would say is I think that there is a game plan for them to keep it competitive and maybe lose the game something like 34-24, 34-20, uh, at least not be embarrassed, and beyond not be embarrassed, uh, cover the point spread, which is now about 20 and a half points. Uh, and I think that, <laughs> sorry, I'm laughing at myself, I know it's bad. Um, I think the blueprint really boils down, in my opinion, to two specific things. I think it boils down to two specific things, two specific games, and those games are this. I think it comes down to what I saw in that Florida-Alabama SEC championship game, and I think it boils down to what I saw in the Clemson-Notre Dame game the first time. And so what do I mean by that? Well, first of all, with the Alabama-Florida game, um, Florida proved that you can move the ball on Alabama. Now, Florida is obviously a very dynamic passing team. They have Kyle Pitts, or they had Kyle Pitts. He's already declared for the draft. Um, but they are a very dynamic passing team, but they prove that you can move the ball on Alabama in a way that a lot of other teams have not this season. Um, and so to me, it gives me hope that Notre Dame can possibly move the ball on Alabama as well. But I do think for that to happen, 
They have to stick to the original game plan that they had in the first uh, Clemson game a couple months ago when they did beat Clemson in South Bend. And if you go back to that game, if you remember that game, everybody was freaking out because Trevor Lawrence didn't play and DJ Uyla played. But it wasn't Trevor Lawrence's absence that allowed Notre Dame to win that game. It was that Notre Dame completely kicked the crap out of Clemson at the line of scrimmage. And I talked about it before the second Notre Dame-Clemson game, but it is worth repeating. In that game, Clemson, or excuse me, Notre Dame, 200-plus yards rushing, over five yards per carry, got the victory in double overtime. Clemson. 33 total yards rushing on 34 attempts, one yard rushing per carry. Notre Dame dominated the line of scrimmage in that game and for whatever reason got away from that plan in the second game that they played Clemson. And what I would say about that second game is part of it is I think they got away from the game plan. Part of it is if you remember that second Notre Dame-Clemson game a few weeks ago in the ACC championship game, um, Notre Dame got into the red zone the first three possessions of the game and got three total points out of it. And so to me, I think that's the most fascinating thing. Can they establish the run? And if they can, does that help the passing game where Ian Book is going to have plenty of time in the pocket? That's the one thing that I keep coming back to. This is no disrespect, SEC fans, to Auburn or Tennessee or Kentucky or Arkansas or Florida or whoever played them. Notre Dame has the best offensive line that Alabama has seen all year. Doesn't mean that Alabama can't get pressure on them. Doesn't mean that Alabama can't make plays. But if you give Ian Book enough time in the pocket, will he have that opportunity? But he can only get time in the pocket if you can run the ball and find balance. So to me, that is the biggest key. Can Notre Dame somewhere, somehow find balance, run the ball effectively, which gives Ian Book more time in the pocket, which gives the receivers more time in the pocket, or more receivers more time to get open? I don't know. But what I would say is, if I was, well, I don't even know if I would say that. I think Notre Dame will keep it close for at least a half. I could see it being something like 21-14 going into halftime. Uh, and eventually Alabama just got too many playmakers, and I think they pull away late. I would probably, from a betting perspective, lean Notre Dame first half, Alabama game, uh, and Alabama winning something in the neighborhood of 42-21 to because they just got too many guys. Speaking of too many guys, I should probably mention, I have not really talked about the Heisman Trophy race you guys know where I stand on Mac Jones, the quarterback from Alabama. I really do like him. Uh, and up until a couple weeks ago when they played Florida, I actually would have had him as my Heisman Trophy vote if I had a vote for the Heisman Trophy. I do not. Uh, because I just thought the way he was playing, especially down the stretch, was absolutely incredible. And I thought that he was, in fact, excuse me, deserving of the Heisman Trophy. But I'll be honest, I've come full circle. I think Devontae Smith, the wide receiver at Alabama, is the guy that I would now vote for after the regular season if I had a Heisman Trophy vote. I mean, this guy was so freaking dynamic. Um, and never forget, by the way, Alabama's pro the guy that was projected to be, quote-unquote, the best wide receiver in this on this team, Jalen Waddell, got hurt in week two of the season. Or I don't know if it was week two, but he got hurt in the Tennessee game. Has not played in about you know, the last five, six games of the season. So it definitely wasn't week two because he was available for the Georgia and the Texas A&M games. But never forget that Devontae Smith is doing this on a roster that is down an All-American top 10 type pick at wide receiver. 
And so when I look at what Devontae Smith did, when I look at the fact that he averaged 15 yard, 17 yards per catch, which is absurd, 98 catches, 15 yards per catch. I was right the first time, whatever. Reading stats, that's why I don't do stats. Stats don't matter. Not trying to make the argument, but 98 catches, 15 yards per catch, 17 touchdowns in a year where the best offensive weapon outside of him or at least alongside him, I guess Najee Harris is a pretty darn good weapon too, I really would give it to Devontae Smith. He played some special teams. He returned some punts. Uh, and yeah, that's my only real thought on Clemson or uh, Notre Dame, Alabama, is that I do think Alabama's going to win. I do think Notre Dame can keep it close for a half. And I would give Devontae Smith the Heisman if I did have a vote. Really quickly, let's get to the Clemson-Ohio State game. And let me just say this, man. I am amazed how this Dabo-Ohio State story has kind of taken on a life of its own. And it's funny, for people who kind of haven't really been following the story, uh, and I talk about it a little bit with Zach Smith here in a couple minutes, but uh, Dabo and a lot of these coaches have a vote in the coaches poll. Uh, for The coaches poll is the coaches actually voting on a top 25 it has no bearing on who makes the college football playoff. That is all dictated by the, uh, by the committee. But Dabo has a vote in the coaches poll, and he voted Ohio State number 11 in the country behind Cincinnati, Florida, which had three losses, Iowa State, which had three losses, obviously Notre Dame. And when he was asked about it, he kind of just said like point blank, like, dude, I don't think a team that, that only played six games should be rewarded with a college football playoff berth. And on top of that, not only do I not think they should be rewarded, I think we're punishing the teams that actually started the season on time. Now, again, it's what I kind of just said about Notre Dame a minute ago. I think two things can be true. I think Ohio State can be one of the four most deserving teams in the playoff and that they should have a shot. Because first of all, if they had played all their games that they were capable of playing, remember they had two games canceled because other teams couldn't go. If they had played all their games, they would have played eight games. Texas A&M only played nine games, so it's not as though the gap would have been that big. Um, so I, I would have put Ohio State in my top four, but I also do understand Dabo's point. It's like Florida, if Florida had only played six games, how different would their schedule have looked? Uh, what if they could have had the, uh, the, the, the Alabama game canceled or the Florida game canceled or whatever? So I get Dabo's point. But I do think it's kind of an interesting, broader question about, about the idea of, is Dabo really kind of smart and poking the bear here with Ohio State? Now, what I would say with the Ohio State stuff very quickly is that I do believe in the last couple days, Dabo had media availability on Monday, and he did kind of walk back the comments. He sort of walked back the comments, which first of all, I love. Um, but what he basically said was, look, I voted him number 11 because I didn't have a single team that only played six games in the top 10. I voted him number 11 because I believe of the teams that played half a schedule, they were by far the best team. And he also said, I would add, Ohio State's really good. Ohio State could beat anybody in this playoff. So I get where Dabo, I give him credit for running it back, but he did still say I did still vote him number, number 11. And I do wonder what kind of impact that has on the psyche of this game. Because Ohio State, although... They have not looked great in many circumstances, in many moments this season. They are still a really good football team, and I really don't know if you want to poke that bear and give them extra motivation coming into this game. First of all, remember, the reason that Ohio State fought so hard in July, August, September to have a football season 
they feel like from the beginning they were a national championship caliber team and they feel like they had the national championship ripped out of their hands last year by the refs in the Fiesta Bowl in Phoenix against Clemson. And so that team is already motivated. They've already been waiting a year for the opportunity to play you. And now you're going to poke the bear by saying, ah, I don't know, they probably shouldn't be here, blah, 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 this and that. If I was Dabo, I just would have kept my mouth shut. Now, in a lot of ways, I give him credit because he knew he was going to get pushback. But I also understand, uh, uh, I also think it's a big, big, big mistake. The other thing that is worth noting about Ohio State, and I'm sure I've talked about it on this show, they really haven't had a full team all year long. Um, that 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 Big Ten championship game, Master Teague, who was coming into the game, their most consistent running back, you might have gotten a cri- eclipsed by Trey Sermon, he was out for that game. Chris Olave, who's maybe their most consistent wide receiver outside of Garrett Wilson, was out for that Northwestern game. Ohio State still won. The game before against Michigan State, they had four starting offensive linemen out because of COVID. So we really haven't seen the best version of Ohio State yet, and now on top of that, you're going to give them extra motivation. I'm not saying it's wrong. I just don't know if that's the decision that I would have made. So that's my quick thoughts on the game. But I would also say that when I break it down at its simplest form, I, stu- I still do think Clemson's going to win. And I think Clemson's going to win because of the problem that Ohio State's had all year, which is their secondary isn't very good. And by the way, it's not their fault. Three of their starting defensive backs from last season, Jeff Okuda was a top three pick to Detroit. Jordan Fuller's balling out. I believe he's playing with the with the LA Rams down the road from where I live. And a second safety is also in the NFL. I'm blanking on who it was. I'm not going to lie. Sorry. Sorry, Ohio State fans listening. I forgot who your second safety was. But the point is that secondary has been suspect all year. They actually finished the year ranked 14th in the Big Ten in passing defense. Uh, and some of that's because they just gave up a few big plays to Ohio State. But when you talk about a team that finished uh, allowing 261 yards in pass defense, I believe in yards per completion, they were about 10th in the, uh, or excuse me, about 12th out of 14 Big Ten teams. I just don't see how, unless you're getting constant pressure on Trevor Lawrence, I don't see how you stop that passing offense. So my lean would be Clemson. I think it's minus six and a half at this point. I do think they win. Uh, but I also, I, I don't know that I agree with Dabo Sweeney poking the bear, uh, going after Ohio State. It, it just isn't a move that I would make, but who's to say for sure, and these games will be fun to watch. Uh, really quickly, on Wednesday, we do get the Cotton Bowl, Oklahoma versus Florida. Don't know that I have any great, strong opinion on this. I will say Florida's been pretty devastated by opt-outs. Uh, Kyle Pitts, the star wide receiver slash tight end, is out. Uh, Trevon Grimes, the other, the second number two wide receiver is out. Uh, Marco Wilson, ironically, the kid who threw the shoe that cost him the LSU game, he has opted out. So Florida is going to be down some star players. I'd probably lean Oklahoma. I also think Oklahoma has not got enough credit. Their defense has been really good over the last couple weeks. Uh, on New Year's Day, we do get uh, Georgia and Cincinnati. I believe that's New Year's Day. It might be the 31st, but... The point being Georgia-Cincinnati here in a couple days. I would lean Georgia. Look, I, I, I think that this, um, this Cincinnati thing is a great thing. They're a great story. They're incredibly well coached. And if they lose to Georgia, it's not an indictment. Oh, they were so terrible. They were so overrated. But I do think Georgia, I'll give them credit. Once they put JT Daniels in the lineup, it's been a completely different deal. 
And I also think that they want to build some momentum going into 2021 where if JT Daniels plays like he did over the final three, four, five games of this season, um, they could have a ton of success. So I, I would lean Georgia in that game. Texas A&M, UNC, uh, I would actually lean Texas A&M, not because they're from the big, bad SEC and they're amazing, but UNC had a bunch of guys opt out. And I just don't know that they're going to have enough firepower and enough uh, starring personnel to have success there. Uh, but that's it. I think that's it. I think I'm going to get out of here. Uh, that is all for this segment of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. Make sure to stay tuned. Zach Smith will be joining me momentarily to break down the college football playoff games. And again, I think a really fun conversation about Jim Harbaugh, about can he rebuild the staff? What is it like to be on a dysfunctional staff where you know things are not going well? And he also talks a little bit about Urban Meyer and the opportunity for him to coach in the NFL. Before we get out of here, I want to remind you, please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, the podcast, Addict App, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, where you're listening, all that good stuff. It really does help. Make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter. Make sure you're following on Instagram at Aaron, uh, Aaron Torres Pod. And again, I just want to say for the final time, I genuinely appreciate all your guys' support. Uh, 2020, again, I know I already said it, but I just want to reiterate, tough year for a lot of people. Tough year for me, man. Listen, again, I'm not saying my life is terrible. I love what I do. I'm very grateful for it. But I'm also very, very, very grateful for you guys for all of your support for this show and for the way that this show has been able to expand over the last year with, again, some of the guests that we've had, Rick Barnes on twice, we've had Jim Calhoun, we've had uh, uh, Herschel Walker, Bill Walton, Hugh Freeze, uh, all those guys. And so just want to thank you guys from the bottom of my heart. I appreciate everything that you guys have done. Mick Cronin, Archie Miller, Leonard Hamilton, Scott Drew, on and on and on and on and on. So thank you guys, and for the final time in 2020, shout out to Torrent Craig, shout out to Rachel who hates my voice, and I'll see you guys in 2021. But first, here is my interview with Zach Smith, formerly of the Ohio State football program and now the host of the Menace to Sports podcast. All right, joining me via Zoom, uh, got a ton of great feedback the last time I had this guy on the show, uh, former Ohio State assistant coach. He is currently the host of the Menace to Sports podcast, which in my opinion, honestly, man, I told you last time, it is the best college football breakdown show uh, that I listen to. I, I learn a ton from it. Uh, so I appreciate your time, Zach Smith, man. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, man, always a pleasure. I, I appreciate you inviting me back on. I must have done something right the first time, right? I didn't screw it up. <laughs> it was the uh, Mike Vrabel uh, uh, ATVing off-roading at 2 a.m. story, I think, that, that was the winner from last time. So we'll get into, sealed, sealed the deal. Dude, yeah, we'll get into some story time later because, you know, I want to ask you about some guys that are in the news, Joe Burrow, guys like that. Uh, but, like, let's start with this playoff, man. I mean, you know, listen, you were behind the scenes. You know so much about what, what's going on at Ohio State. But I'll just throw it to you. I'll, I'll lob you the easiest question uh, uh, possible to begin. I know we're 10 days, two weeks removed from the actual selection of these four teams. 
Um, but it's still a topic of conversation with uh, Dabo voting Ohio State number 11, with the Texas A&M players tweeting about all sorts of stuff, being mad that they got left out. Uh, let's just start with the most basic question possible. You watch more film of these teams than anybody I know. Uh, did we get the four best teams in the college football playoff from college football this season? Oh, I, I think without a doubt. I don't. I think that's why Ohio State made it. Is it was just so evident when you watch the film of Texas A and M, watch the film of Ohio State, that Ohio State was just much better. I think that had it been a closer call, I think Ohio State gets left out, and the you know is it's on the the commissioner of the Big Ten and the presidents of the universities. But I think when you watch the film, it's just it's not not really close. I mean A and M, I get it, they beat an okay Florida team, but other than that, I mean they got blown out by Bama. They got they played close against a bunch of bad teams. I just don't see it with them. And I think they might actually might lose their bowl game. Um, but I think they got it right. But everyone is absolutely on point for complaining, right? It's not fair. It's not fair that they got in and only played six games. It's not fair that AM had to play 11 and had to play Bama. That's just, it's not fair. But they also weren't, weren't one of the best four teams. And that's why Ohio State's in it. What, what about Notre Dame? Where do you stand on them? I mean, to me, the way that I look at it is – you know, we're supposed to do the totality of the season. And I thought from September 5th or 12th or whenever they kicked off till the end of the season, they were one of the four best teams that I saw. Uh, and you look at kind of just the, the simple metrics and I'll let you break down the, the X's and O's of it. But, you know, more total wins than A&M, more top 25 wins than A&M, more wins against teams that finish with winning records than A&M. I know it's easy to get caught up in that moment in time against Clemson on the final day of the season. And I understand also the argument to go back to the first Clemson game and say, okay, Trevor Lawrence really did make a difference. But, you know, with due respect to A&M, it's like you said, um, you know, uh, got destroyed by Bama, um, you know, uh, their two quote-unquote best wins one was against a Florida team that lost three games the other one was against an Auburn team that fired their coach and I'm just sitting there saying if we are doing the totality of the season which we're supposed to be doing um I think Notre Dame's better than A&M or I think they at the very least have a more impressive resume than A&M where does you stand on Notre Dame when they got that fourth spot yeah, I think uh, the, the problem is that you deal with, you know, historical bias where the sure. SEC is, is, is this and Notre Dame is this. And so that's where people get stuck. And, and I, I fell into it a little bit, but Notre Dame was really impressive on film. I mean, they, they you can say they, they beat Clemson without Trevor Lawrence, but DJ Uyunglele played phenomenal in that game. I mean, he, he missed a couple throws that I thought Trevor would have made. Other than that, he played well. So don't, we can't act like that's some, uh, some reason, the only reason they beat Clemson, they dominated Clemson up front and Clemson was not missing alignment. Um, and so this Notre Dame team is better than Notre Dame's in the past. They don't have athletic freak shows on the perimeter at receiver. They have a solid run, run game, the best offensive line in the country, them in Alabama, I would put 1A, 1B. And, and they have a very sound and solid defense, fundamentally sound, schematically sound. And, and I love them. And you, I, I love looking at the All-American teams. All three teams combine and say, all right, who has talent, right? Because Cincinnati can win, you know, go undefeated. But if they don't have All-American talent, they don't belong in the conversation. Notre Dame has the second most All-Americans in the playoffs. They have four All-Americans on all three teams. Ohio State has three. Clemson has two. So wow. they're, they're as talented as anyone not named Alabama, <laughs> Fair enough. Um, where do you stand? So, you know, you mentioned the, you know, their ability to dominate the line of scrimmage. And I, 
I don't want to say that's what surprised me about the ACC championship game. We'll go to the Alabama-Notre uh, Dame game first in terms of the playoff uh, picture here. But, you know, when I look back on the ACC championship game, first of all, you know, what I would say is I think it's easy to forget now. Notre Dame got in the red zone three times on the first three possessions, came away with three points, and the game, you know, the dam broke from there. But when I look back on it, and I talked about it a little bit before you joined me in this segment, is – you know, I thought Notre Dame got away from what made them successful the first game against Clemson, which is just running the ball straight at them. Now, I understand Clemson got a lot healthier and all that stuff, but do you think and, and what would you expect Notre Dame to do uh, in this college football playoff game? Because to me, the only chance they got to even keep it competitive, let's not even talk about them winning. They're a three touchdown underdog, but to even keep it close to have a chance going into that fourth quarter is to try to control that line of scrimmage, try to run the ball straight at uh, Alabama and to keep Devontae Smith, Najee Harris and uh, Mac Jones off the field. I mean, there's definitely two different conversations because it's okay. I don't know what the hell they're going to do on Friday. But I think that what you saw in the ACC championship game is exactly what you said. And, and it wasn't it, – it was 50-50. Did they, did they abandon the run game or could they not just run the ball well? Sure. I mean, I think it was a combination of both. Uh, Brett, Brett Venables had a much better game plan to disrupt their run game and force Ian Book to throw it. And then you watch – the throw game and and outside of the one sack where I think it was the right guard fell down, all of those are coverage sacks. They couldn't get open. They didn't have okay. the receivers to get open. And Ian Book is sitting back there forever. And yep. the, the pass pro is phenomenal. It's like a solid wall in front of him that eventually is inevitably going to break down. And so whatever they had, six sacks, or I don't remember the number, but I, I think that's what happened. They kind of got exposed. Clemson had a better game plan. They were healthier and they just got exposed. Clemson said, we're going to go full fledged, stop the run, make Ian book throw to beat us. And poor Ian book didn't have a chance because everyone was covered. And so that doesn't bode well when you're going against Pat Sertain and a better defense. That's uh, so exactly I, what I was going to ask you. So I don't know what they're going to do. I, honestly, I, they got to try to run the ball. They're not going to be able to throw it to beat Bama. They definitely have to score. You don't stop five All-American, first-team All-Americans on offense for Alabama, by the way. I don't, I don't know how anyone beats this Alabama team. I was, I was looking at it and laughing uh, about this Alabama team. Like, if you started an NFL team, right, you need okay. your franchise player at key positions, right? Quarterback, Alabama has a first-team All-American. Like, left tackle, first-team All-American. Running back, first-team All-American. Star receiver, first-team All-American. Lockdown corner, first-team Like, it is the most perfectly built college football team that I've seen in a long time. I don't know how anyone beats them. But to your point, they got to score to even keep it in the game, and I just don't know how they do it. Yeah, it's really interesting. I actually made this argument maybe about even three or four weeks ago, and I said, look, you know, the, the big games are ahead. We're not going to know. Um, but I think this is the most dominant, and the word I used was dominant Alabama team that I've ever seen since I since Saban got there, since I've been doing this, since I've been a fan, just from the perspective that early on when Saban got there, it was all about defense. You know, you faced them at Florida, all that stuff. Um it was all about defense, right? Like it's, it, you know, it, you win games 14-7, 14-10, whatever. And then the offensive evolution happened with Lane Kiffin, but the defense couldn't keep up and the defense had a few down years. And it felt like the defense kind of came full circle, was really good the last six, seven weeks of the season. And then, oh, by the way, you got uh, this crazy explosive offense. First of all, did you ever think you'd see a day, Nick Saban, whatever it is, 550 yards of total offensive game? I mean, it is freaking absurd, man. 
It's absurd. And it's really changing the guards in Tuscaloosa. And you're right. Lane Kiffin's the one that did it. I mean, Alabama needed an explosive offense to, to kind of stay with the changing times in college football. And Lane Kiffin comes in and, and handed it to him. And then they started recruiting different quarterbacks. I mean, it's not Blake Sims anymore. Sure. It's Tua Tungavailoa and, and, and Mac Jones. I mean, it's just a very different philosophy as a program. And, and I think uh, what the only thing that, that makes me believe that, that they're beatable is one, I saw the 0-2 Miami team get beat. That's one reason. Sure. And then two, Ole Miss gave people the formula. No one just can do it, right? And they yeah. just go as fast as you can and try to wear the defense out to get them so tired that you can try to stay in a shootout with Bama. And if Notre Dame has better players than Ole Miss, they, they got a chance if that was what they were to do. Now they're not going to because they're not built to do that. Yeah. But I think that's where an Ohio State or Clemson could maybe – give Bama a run for their money in the, in the title game is, can you kind of go a little up-tempo, do some things that make Bama uncomfortable to try to equalize this shootout that is inevitable if you're going to be in the game? That's really, really, really interesting. Um, so, all right, so you basically just said Notre Dame has no chance there, so that's kind of boring topic. Real quick. Which means they'll win, by the way. <laughs> no, dude. Well, dude, I, I do think that's the only chance they have. You know, I know you you hand out some betting picks. I'm actually, as we're recording here, wearing my, my bookie shirt just because I'm around okay. the house. But, you know, I, I would probably – lean Notre Dame first half because I think they just have to bleed the clock and keep those guys off the field. But I do think Bama covers. So let me ask you kind of an interesting follow-up since you don't think Alabama, uh, Notre Dame has a chance. I don't, nobody does. Uh, where do you stand on the Heisman Trophy? Do you, would you give it to Devontae Smith this year? It has to, it has to go to him. I mean, it would it be the first receiver since who Desmond Howard, I think and he's the most dominant player in the country. And it certainly doesn't hurt that they have a great run game and he has an All-American quarterback throwing him the ball, but he's been the best player in the country. I mean, I get it. It's become a popularity award amongst quarterbacks, but he's the best player in the country. And if that's what the award is for, that's he's definitely who should get it. Yeah, it's funny. I, I, I was leaning Mac Jones the entire season. I know you're a Mac Jones guy, too. Um, for sure. I just thought, dude, like the way he handled that offense, you know, I, and I, I've made the comment, like, I, I don't think there was a stretch there where I don't think he had a bad series for like five straight games. Like he just made the right decision at every time, knew when to dump it off, knew when to throw deep, knew when to roll out in the pocket. And I'm just like, dude, this guy's unbelievable. But I do think, you know, uh, the, the SEC championship game, even though they put up 52 points or whatever it was, you know, he had some moments where whatever, and, and I, I did think, I, I thought, okay, this is, we should be giving this award to Devontae Smith. So I didn't know yeah. if it was a controversial take or not. I don't have a vote, uh, but I probably would lean Devontae Smith as well. Yeah, that's, that, that's what I think. I, I, he should win it. You, know, you never know with the Heisman. They'll give it to a quarterback just because he throws the ball. So, All right, second game. All right, first of all, so you know the Ohio State program well. Um, you probably know Clemson well. You played him in a playoff game that I was at, by the way, New Year's Eve, Tempe, Arizona, or Glendale, Arizona, uh, which, by the way, awful New Year's Eve, probably more so for you than me. But um, what do you like? What do you make of all this Dabo stuff? I mean, on the so a couple, couple different thoughts on my end is one, I do give him credit for. It's what he believes. It would have been easy to just vote him four, five, six vote for me. And I should backtrack. I think most people know, but Dabo Sweeney has a, a vote in the coaches poll. Um, the coaches poll, by the way, has no reflection on who makes the playoff, all that stuff. But 
Um, he has a vote of the coaches poll and he voted Ohio State number 11. Um, the committee disagrees. They have him as the third best team in the country. And I think the committee got it right. I lean more committee than Dabo. Um, and it, but, but for people who haven't followed the story minute by minute, his argument was basically, I didn't put any team that played four, five, six games in my top 10. They were number 11. And when there was media availability over the last day or so, um, you know, he said, look, I do respect Ohio State. I think they're good enough to beat any team in the country. But this was just what I believed was the right thing. And he won't back down from it. So on the one hand, I kind of like it and I kind of respect it. On the other hand, I don't know about poking the bear that is Justin Fields, that is Ohio State, that is a team, by the way. And we'll get into that team specifically like they haven't really had their full roster available all season long. So you look at a, a sloppy win over Northwestern, an ugly win over Indiana, um, and you sit there and say, well, wait a second now. Like, yeah, those were two games that were closer than we thought, but they didn't have a lot of key guys, especially against Northwestern. Well, before we get to the game itself, just what do you make of the whole Dabo situation? And as a guy that was in those locker rooms, I'm guessing Ryan Day uh, is playing that up pretty good. Oh, it's definitely being used. I mean, more it's overkill at this point to the Ohio State program and players, I, I'm sure. Uh, but I, I think it's it's kind of 50-50. Half of it is Dabo being Dabo. Just, just kind of, he has his oh shucks, like take on a lot of things that just a lot of times seem idiotic. And this is certainly one of them. Ohio State being the 11th team is a joke. But he's also not wrong. Like, how's it really fair that a team only plays six games and we could talk about them as, as a, a top five team and to I guess to his defense prior to these press conferences where they've been in game prep he probably hasn't watched Ohio State so how's he to know how good they are that's my biggest problem with the coaches poll is first of all 90 percent of the times it's sports information directors yep. who vote not coaches second of all how the hell's the head coach of Ohio State know how good Washington is not a clue no idea never seen him right so that's I think it's probably twofold one he's just kind of playing it up and taking shots just for fun and two is he probably didn't have a great idea and just thought the whole scenario was unfair to teams that played a full slate. So let me ask you a dumb question. Um, do you think, obviously now he knows, but do you think he was even aware that not only did they play six games, but they had a bunch of COVID issues where they're basically against Michigan State, their entire offensive line was wiped out bunch of their skill position guys didn't play against Northwestern do you think he even had any idea any of that or was it till not until game prep you know game week whatever that that he noticed that no I'm sure he knew I mean with everyone dealing with all this COVID stuff and with what happened to Clemson at Florida State landing in Tallahassee then getting sent home I mean that kind of news makes it into the coach's locker room before a shower you know I'm sure he knew about it I doubt he knew details but he definitely knew that it was going on in Columbus and that they were getting some games canceled and played some games without 20 some players. I'm sure he generally knew, but not entirely real quick. Uh, it's, it's ancient history now, but I was one of the vocal guys that defended Dabo with, um, with the Florida state stuff. And I heard throughout football season that, especially as we got down the stretch, that teams were going to use COVID as an excuse. And, you know, my bigger issue at the time was that, Florida State was basically just making up rules. The ACC signed off on it. They had the minimum number of players, and they just decided they didn't want to play because of one positive test, and I, I forget all the details now, but he tested negative like three times during the course of the week. They gave him an extra test that week. He tested negative. He gets on the plane and tests positive when he lands. 
Uh, where did you stand on all that? Because I think it's easy to, oh, dad boy's an asshole, whatever, blah, 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 blah. Excuse my language for anyone listening in the car with your children. I apologize. But, um, you know, always oh, just a jerk, whatever. But it's like I heard from some people across the country that are like people are definitely using this thing as an excuse. There's no doubt they did. I mean, I came the minute this all started. I did a whole podcast about what coaches are going to do and use this COVID for. Now, what I didn't anticipate was the conferences would allow them to so rampantly just make shit up. You know, yes. I thought, no, they were going to use it either way. With the way that these tests work, I assumed that coaches would test positive players more frequently to get games canceled or test negative players more frequently to keep games on. I, I thought they would have to manipulate how they tested and who they tested to do it. I didn't know that the Big Ten would just let Michigan say, ah, we're a little nervous about COVID. We're not going to play. Like, that's just – it's the most yeah. asinine thing I've ever heard of. Like, these schools are making decisions that are outside of the regulations set forth by their governing bodies, and there's just – it's not a forfeiture? Like, I, I still can't wrap my head around it. And I've been on my little soapbox just screaming about it. Like, how is this allowed? Like, well, it's just mind-blowing. Not just by their their governing bodies, by the doctors. Like the ACC yeah. doctors said, it's fine. Play, you're good. You, you got to go to school for a while to be a doctor. That's what I'm saying, dude. I'll tell you, I I think that they've learned for basketball. I had heard, I don't know if this is out there publicly, but that at the very least, the SEC. Somebody told me this that the SEC in basketball is saying if you have eight healthy players and one healthy coach, the game has to go on. Um, so I don't even know if that's out there publicly yet, but I, I've been told they learned from full. And I don't know that the SEC, it wasn't really an issue. I think they had one canceled game the entire season two, maybe I think it was 69 out of 71 games got played. Um, but I was told like, they were like, dude, we're not dealing with this crap in basketball where somebody travels somewhere, gets there the day of the game. I mean, it happened in basketball a few weeks ago, the UCLA, they flew up to Oregon, a ref test positive and they call off the game. It's unbelievable. So it's unbelievable. And I mean, it's, especially when some teams like, I know Minnesota won an overtime thriller without 25 players. Yes. Ohio State played two games with, without 22 players. And then Michigan cancels the, the rivalry game and they have eight positive tests. I think it was eight or 10 throughout the entire athletic department. department yeah. It's like, wait a minute now, timeout. How is this allowed? Well, dude, that was what didn't make sense to me. And I'll, I'll tell you this, I'll give this guy credit, even though he's currently unemployed, maybe I can get him on my podcast or you yours, Lovey Smith. Uh, week two, when Wisconsin was hiding under their covers because Paul Christ and uh, what's his name, uh, the quarterback words weren't available. Illinois had like 14 guys test positive the day of the game. It was week two. I think they played Purdue. They freaking played, man. They played. Oh. So it's preposterous. So, by the way, real quick, any thoughts on Brett Bielema to Illinois? I'm just going to start throwing stuff at you left and right here yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Brett I'm Bielema, so what excited. As, as my guy, Burt, it's not Brett, it's Burt. Yeah. Burt Bielema was back in the Big Ten because Urban Meyer left after he ran him out of the conference. It's going <laughs> to be awesome to have him back. Uh, Illinois is a little bit harder of a job than Wisconsin was, so we'll see how that goes. But, uh, yeah, it's nice to have him back in the Midwest. You know, some people say that job is a sleeping giant, that I don't know the Illinois high school football scene as well as – well, I, I know a lot of things better than the Illinois. Do, do you believe it's a job you can at the least win the West in, or is it just not real? I mean, I, they've won, they've won, they've been to the Rose Bowl like in one year out of you know twenty. So I'm not saying it's inconceivable, 
but do you think you can build a consistent top 25 team fringe, you know, 15 to 25, win the Big Ten West every couple of years kind of program there? Yeah, I mean, with the state of the Big Ten West, yes. Sure, you know what sure. I mean? Like, how good is the Big Ten West? What, Wisconsin? And then every now and then Iowa's decent. I mean, it's just, it's not a great division. And so, yeah, I, I think Illinois has a ton, a ton to overcome to get there. And you look at the, when they were halfway decent, Ron Zook came in, that SEC mentality, started recruiting nationally, got some some guys in, maybe uh, maybe cut a couple corners to get him there. You know, you never know. He, all of a sudden, he has Juice Williams playing, and, and uh, who, who was the corner he had? The kid from Maryland, I forget his oh, name. Oh, anyway, uh, David. Uh, was it Vontae Davis or the yeah, other one? Vontae, yeah, exactly. They was he the one that Davis quit at halftime with the Bills? I think, I don't know if yeah. that was him or his brother. That was him, yeah. Yeah, it was him. And so that's what they got to do. They got to find a way to out-recruit you know, Michigan, Michigan State, Wisconsin, and, and, and I mean, we could really dive into it, but Illinois is not a, it's not great for high school football, not because there's not great high school football or great players, but like Chicago specifically, the school system sucks, players aren't eligible, and so many kids want to be hoopers, they don't even play football. So there's mm -hmm. talent in Chicago, they're just all on a basketball court, and a lot of them are ineligible. So it's, it's a tough, a tough job, but it's possible, especially with the state of the West. So you just brought up Harbaugh. Uh, as we're recording here on Wednesday, Tuesday, let's say Tuesday, there's mixed mixed reports that he may have officially signed the extension. Um, it looks like he's coming back. It, it, is it just over? I mean, has it run its course? Because I sit there and say he's shaking up his stat. And listen, I was the biggest Harbaugh guy. I think when you came on last time, it was right after they beat Minnesota, and I'm like, this guy beats the teams he's supposed to. He doesn't get the respect, but I'm just out on this dude. And I just feel like, you know, Don Brown, for people who don't know, his defensive coordinator has left. And I'm just sitting there saying, you've shaken up the staff two or three times. You've switched up the offense. Uh, you've had five-star quarterbacks. None of them have worked. I don't believe the kid they just signed will work. Do you, do you, is there any way he, not, and not to beat Ohio State level, like, but just, you know, they're they're 10 and one and maybe they're in the AM position where they can't get over Ohio State, but they're in the conversation for for a playoff, uh, you know, at large. I mean, is there any, any scenario or is it just over? Uh, it's going to take a lot of change. He's he's going through what Urban Meyer went through in 2016 and he's handling it the absolute opposite way <laughs> Urban did. Right. Okay. I mean, he fired a guy that has had a top 10 or top five defense every year other than this year at Boston College of all places, and then Michigan. I mean, he fired the one, probably the best coach on his staff in sure. Don Brown. And then you go to the offensive side, this, this decrepit offense, horrible scheme, no player development, two defunct co-coordinators, and then I guess you could throw Harbaugh in the mix as the CEO coordinator of the offense. And it's just, it's a, it's a mess. And Urban had that a similar situation, and he did what he should have done, fired both coordinators on offense, removed himself, brought in Ryan Day and said, hey, man, this shit has passed me by. You got to do this. And wow. Harbaugh's not going to do that. If he did it, then you could say, all right, he could be a CEO. He could be like Urban was. He could run the program and possibly become relevant again, in, at least in the Big Ten. But it's just watching the moves he's making and scratch your head like, man, we're going to sign up for more years of this? <laughs> no, that's how I feel, too. So so take me back to 2016. I don't really remember. I Was that the year you guys lost to Michigan State or – what was that? You lost to, in a Clemson in a bowl game. Uh, take us yeah, into – yeah, go ahead. I mean, it, it all started in 2015. I mean, we had the best team in the country, not even yes. close, and probably one of the best teams of the decade. 
Real quick, we for so person, real quick, for a person who doesn't remember, you win the national championship in 2014. You bring back the entire team, Joey Everyone. Bosa, Ezekiel Elliott, Cardale Jones, uh, and you don't win the championship. So continue. That was 2015. So continue. I just want to make sure people understand. I mean, 2015, that. we brought everybody back, and, and, and you forgot Michael Thomas. He's decent. Uh, <laughs> but we bring everybody back, and we're the best team in the country. And we were so talented that we overcame the most – I mean, derelict offensive coordinator and offensive system that I was unfortunately a part of that I've ever seen. And we still won games. We lost to Michigan State. Uh, uh, just, I mean, we didn't call a single play that anyone thought was a good play, to be honest with you. And we lost to Michigan State. We, after that game, Urban has dead set he's going to fire Ed Warner at the end of the year. Well, unfortunately, we were so talented that we went and hung like 600 yards on Michigan, went to the bowl game against a good Notre Dame team, hung another 600 yards. And Urban didn't, he didn't feel like he could justify firing the offensive coordinator. So he didn't. Oh, wow. Well, all those kids left. And in 2016, it was even more uh, disenfranchised and, and fragmented on offense. And it was just a train wreck. And it all ended with a 31 0 blank from Clemson. And Urban's never been shut out that. of a game like that. Like he, he's at least scored a point, right? So that was, that was the, the end of it. And, and part of the problem was he didn't have a good offensive coordinator. That, that could run the show with his influence. So he tried to get more involved than he should have been. It was just a mess, complete mess. And so he knew he needed a coordinator like a Tom Herman or a guy that was very, very, very good that could run it. And he probably needed to remove himself a little bit and let someone else just run the show. And that's what happened. And that's when the offense kind of bounced back. Dude, I, I just said it a minute ago. I was at that 31 to nothing game. I have never seen... I've been to Final Fours, National – I was at the Final Four when North Carolina lost at the buzzer. Uh, I have never seen anyone as just defeated and dejected as Urban Meyer after that game. It was unbelievable. Then the opposite, you play Clemson, it's Dabo, it's pre – they haven't won a national championship at that point. They would win it, I think, two weeks later or whatever – but, you know, Dabo, you know, you ask him a question, he gives you a four-minute answer. And, you know, Urban, I've ne I, mean, I, I vividly remember just seeing him on the podium, just like, I cannot believe what just happened to my team. It's unbelievable. It was unbelievable. And I'll tell you, the, the craziest part about it be, being where I – sitting where I sat, right, is we get on the plane, and one, I'm embarrassed. Like, I don't even want to – I want to find another job or something. I don't even want to be a part of this anymore because my name is being attached to it. Yes. And I, I, it's just disgusting. And so I'm sitting on the plane and Urban calls me into the aisle, like away from, uh, I think my kids were with me to, to talk to him. And I'm like, oh God, that's not a good scenario, right? Like you don't mm -hmm. want to, I mean, they were on the plane flying back the next morning. Uh, and, and he tells me three rows away from Ed Warner, the offensive coordinator, not really that discreetly. He's like, hey, I'm, I'm firing Ed when we get back. Uh, what do you think about Kevin Wilson and Ryan Day? He starts talking to me about who we should bring in as a coordinator. And I'm sitting here wow. looking like, Bro, the guy and his family are right there. Like, this is so uncomfortable. And then the craziest thing, here's Urban Meyer for you. He then spends the next, I guess it was two, three weeks until signing day, trying to get Ed Warner the Western Kentucky job as a head coach. Like, trying to get him a promotion so yep. he doesn't have to fire him. Sure. I'm like, damn. So if I suck, you're going to try to get me a head coaching <laughs> job? Like, I got the formula now. I never knew that. <laughs> Dude, that's what I was going to actually ask you. So what is it like to be on a staff? Because, you know, I think about all the jobs that, that we, quote unquote, common folk have had. And, you know, I've definitely been 
the underling that's like, bro, my boss is a freaking idiot. Like this guy does not know what he's doing, but I got to just show up and keep my mouth shut. I mean, what is it like to be a wide receivers coach um, under an offensive coordinator where you know the system isn't working, but you have to, uh, you know, coach his principles or whatever. And like you said, I mean, it sounds like you were just as frustrated as anybody having your name attached to it. But I, I just was thinking about that of like, you know, I, I always say this, but I think we all think of sports from the outside as, you know, kumbaya, work together as a team, everybody's on the same page. But it's just no different than any other job in the sense that we've all had bad bosses that we know don't know what they're doing, or we've all had people that we have to report to that we don't know what they're doing. What's it like to sit in that that box, uh, you know, every Saturday knowing this crap just ain't working, man? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it sucks. And it's, it's a little different from like working for someone that's incompetent because you're also in a leadership role. The hardest part about it was knowing all that stuff was going on knowing that it was awful and a complete disservice and really it, it was criminal to those players. Sure. And then to walk into a room of young people looking at you as their leader and trying to not trying to prevent mutiny, really trying to hold it all together. And that, I mean, I, when we lost to Michigan state in 2015, I'll never forget the Sunday after we lost, I walked in my room and I shut the door and locked it. So no one could get in. And I just sat there. We didn't watch the film, nothing. I was like, all right, go. Like I already know Michael Thomas is about to go off because he didn't touch the ball once. And he's not selfish. He just want if we win, that's fine. But if we don't win and he's uninvolved, he's pissed. And so there was a lot. It's so you, you lose so much motivation where in my career working with Tom Herman, as much as I dislike the guy, he was excellent football coach. I felt like when I went to work, I had to, to try to learn and grow to keep up. And then Ryan Day comes in and it's the same thing. Like, I know I'm not as good a coach as him. I got I get to go to work and get better. Whereas you go to work and you're working for an absolute clown there's just no motivation. And to, for me personally, in my situation, it was even more screwed up because urban would pull me aside and be like, listen, I need you to really run things in there. Be my voice, you know, do this, do that. Tell me what's going on. He, he was trying to make me like a snitch and trying to get me to take over and run things when I wasn't the coordinator. It was just so bizarre yeah. that it just, it was, it was so frustrating. And, uh, but the, the biggest thing was to the players, the disservice to the players and having to go kind of empty, provide empty leadership to players because you know that you're living in a glass house and you're trying to still get them to go hard and play hard and play well. No, that, that's really interesting. That was the game that Zeke Elliott was on the sidelines crying, right? I, I vividly oh, yeah. remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, vividly remember that. Oh, yeah. And then and then in the locker room, in, in the interview, he, he he's bitching at the coaches for not giving the ball more. And, you know, I'm sitting there, and Urban kind of was too, like, he's not wrong. Like, he's, he's right. We should have given him the ball more. Real quick, by the way, we didn't even talk about the actual game, Ohio State Clemson. Um, I don't know if you've shared a prediction or anything. What do you got? I mean, as far as the Ohio State Clemson game, this college football playoff specifically. Uh, you know what? I think this is uh, this is unfortunately uh, Ohio State's weaknesses don't they match up poorly with Clemson's strengths. I I will say this though. Uh, Clemson's the only team in the college football playoff without an All-American on defense. I think their defense is very suspect, and I don't think they've played an offense with the skill set that Ohio State has. Uh, the, the, the caveat being Ohio State's interior O-linemen have been very below average in pass pro, and Brent Venables is a mad scientist when it comes to creating pressures. I mean, this Clemson team has 44 sacks on the year, one of the tops in the country, and they have 21 guys with sacks. I mean, their sack wow. leader has four. The guy leading Clemson in sacks has four, and they have 44 of them. 
Like, wow. so they don't have a dominant defensive pass rusher. Their scheme is just very disruptive, and that doesn't bode well for Ohio State's interior offensive line. However, Notre Dame showed that if, if you can run the ball effectively on this Clemson defense, you can control the game. And that's Ohio State's bread and butter, especially coming with, the, the I guess, the, the arrival of Trey Sermon in the Big Ten Championship game and kind of him showing that he's confident in his knee injury from whatever, 18 months ago. So I, it's going to be interesting because Ohio State has the, the capability of controlling the game and handling Clemson's defense. If they can run the ball, if they can protect Justin Fields, you're going to see a lot of max pro because Clemson's secondary is, is probably their greatest weakness. And mm. so Ohio State has a two-headed monster at receiver. So if they can find a way to protect Justin Fields, I think they got a chance on offense. The defense side of the ball, I'm a little nervous. I, I just – I don't see disruption from Ohio State's defense. They haven't gotten after the quarterback well, and that is the only way to beat Trevor Lawrence. He completes like 80% of his balls when he's kept clean. Under pressure, it's like 39%. So if, if they could get home or could make him feel pressured, they could possibly disrupt Tre Trevor Lawrence and have a chance. The problem is what happened last year is he's very good at, at escaping and, and beating you with his feet. He's a better athlete than people think. So mm -hmm. I have a lot of concerns. Um, I didn't even talk about Travis Etienne, who has been absolute an absolute stud this year. But I don't think Clemson will be able to run the ball on Ohio State, which is the one good thing, because Travis Etienne ran for, like, I think, 28 yards against Notre Dame when they lost and went over 100 when they won. So they're going to have to throw it to beat Ohio State. Ohio State's secondary is a little down. It's it's it's, it's such an intriguing matchup. I can see it going either way, all based on game plan and, and really halftime adjustments. Very interesting. Yeah, that that's kind of, I think the motivation factor matters. And I do think from just from what I've seen, I don't watch, you know, claim to know as much as you, but feels like Ohio State can move the ball, but it feels, dude, you know, I, I have to look it up, but at one point Ohio State had the worst pass defense in the Big Ten, not only total yards but yards per completion allowed and not and part of that was like indiana busted some huge plays on them and it's a small sample size and stuff but that that would worry me if i was an ohio state fan um real quick last question i know you got a roll here what i gotta ask urban meyer you know your former boss nfl the rumors are percolating um I have a few follow-ups, but but when you saw that, was it surprising, not surprising? You think there's real interest there? Oh, I don't know. He's he's such an interesting human being. Um, <laughs> I, I I think there's probably a little bit of, of an itch to scratch. I don't think that it is in Jacksonville. I don't, I don't know that it ever will really? be. I, I mean, I... Because I would I think Jacksonville and Trevor Lawrence... I could go back and forth. I mean, he's, he, he would have an opportunity to get a franchise quarterback. He'd be back in the state of Florida where his wife wants to live. Like there's so many reasons why I could see it. And then so many reasons why I can't see it. Um, so I also don't think he's really conducive for the NFL. I mean, you see it all the time. College guys jump and don't succeed. His coaching style is so different that he would have to bring in superstar coordinators to do everything, you know, run the, the, the program for him in an NFL fashion until he learned the, the system. Um, so I don't think it's going to happen. I, I, if I had to bet on it, I would not bet that he coaches in the NFL. But this one is intriguing because it's in Florida, because that's where his wife wants to live, because they're going to get Trevor Lawrence, uh, you know, probably. I think there's a lot of reasons why it could be, but I don't see it happening. 
Excuse me. Um, and that's what I was going to ask. I mean, you know, to me, like, you know, it's funny. I've been filling in a lot on radio this week. So these, these topics are kind of coming up. Um, and yeah, like I, I tell people, like, he's not going to uh, Detroit to, and not just because of the Michigan thing, but like, he's not going to Detroit with the rebuild with the ninth pick, but like, dude, if you're ever going to get a shot, I mean, maybe the best quarterback to come out of the draft in however many years, Florida, like you said, complete rebuild. I just think it's interesting. What do you think would be the biggest, you know, and th- th- let me even backtrack here. You know, the thing that I've learned from listening to your podcast, the Menace to Sports podcast, you talk a lot about kind of him is that, you know, the thing that I've learned is that he's a information gatherer and collector that, you know, you got, you said it, or you actually, you said it off air, but that, you know, you used to have calls with, you know, not another uh, uh, offensive coach in, in college football, but with the CEO of this company or that company and that he values learning from smart people. And so I'm guessing right now he's probably plugging in with all his contacts and what do I need to know? What would I need to change? All that kind of stuff. I, w- I would assume that's what he's in the process of doing right now. There's no doubt. That's what he did the last time, right? When he left Florida, he took a job at ESPN and basically got paid to travel the country to go learn about what other programs are doing so that when he took over Ohio State, he had an enhanced model to roll out. And and so if he is looking to make this jump, just, I don't know, someone in Boston, keep an eye out and see if he's hanging out with Belichick, because that's the guy he has the most respect for. And if if anybody sees Urban with Belichick, put all your chips on the Jaguars job, because he that's absolutely what he w- would do and will be doing is visiting with Mike Vrabel in, in, in Nashville, going to Boston to visit with Belichick, to, to go to Foxborough. All the, he would do those things to set himself up because, like you said, he's not an idiot. He's really smart. It's just he's never been in the NFL, so he's got a lot to learn if he's going to make that jump. And he won't want to do it unless he feels like he can go be a Belichick type of coach, you know? What do you think he would have to adjust the most? Is it football-wise? Is it personality-wise? What do you think he would have to change the most? Not, not football-wise. I think what happened after what we just talked about, the 2016 transition and kind of handed over the keys to the program to a coordinator on both sides, he doesn't have to stay relevant with scheme. And that's good because the NFL is a whole it's, – it's a heightened version of football schematics, right? But I think the biggest thing he would have to change is just his coaching personality. I mean, it's all based on family and love and, and developing young people, doing things for them off the field mm-hmm. to, to get them to trust you. And, you know, Greg Schiano used to say it all the time, like, it's hard to build that in the NFL when you're preaching that, you're trying to show that, you're trying to build that, and, and then a month them. later, you cut four guys, and everyone's yep. looking around like, family, what are you talking <laughs> about? You just yeah. cut those guys. Yeah, yeah. And so his motivation tactics, everything he has been as a coach for whatever, 30 years, would have to entirely shift to coaching grown-ass men that are professionals, and that's, I don't know if he can do it. I really don't. Okay, so last, last, last question for real. You know, I will say um, somebody that I, I have a mixed opinion on at times, but I thought he did a really good job with this. Pete Thamel uh, put out this article a few days ago about that Urban really has no interest in college anymore because the landscape is changing rapidly with name image likeness coming down the road with the the idea that players will have endorsements potentially whether it's public or not working with agents to set that stuff up the transfer portal you know you have to re-recruit your players as much as anybody uh is that not only with him but do you get the sense that a lot of these old school coaches um you know look Nick Saban's gonna stay at Bama till he retires but that maybe the guys that will have NFL opportunities are just gonna sit around college and be like I don't want to deal with name image likeness and you know having 
12 guys transfer every year out of every recruiting class. Do you get that sense from talking to people in football? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they, they kind of feel like this is NFL football, except we have to go recruiting. Like, why yeah. don't I just go coach in the NFL and have the offseason off? Like, this is stupid. Yeah. Like, now we have to deal with free agency. We have to deal with contracts, agents, all this stuff. I mean, the reality of this is, in a year, I'll, I'll say a year at most, college coaches are going to go in home for an in-home visit and have to talk with a dad or mom or both, a kid and an agent. Like, that's going to be who's sitting in the home. Can you imagine? Yeah. Like, that's why guys coach college, the amateur aspect, right? To, to connect with families, not to, to have a business meeting with some guy who wants to know if they're going to get a Nike contract. It's yeah. it absolutely, it's, it's going to trend that direction. And it's, it's a free for all now. The NCAA is basically going hands up and we'll see how this thing looks in five years. No, I agree. And, you know, I, it sucks, man, because, you know, a lot of the things that I think we all love about college sports, look, I think they'll still stay there, but, you know, I, I think that it's going to be a different world, you know, and, and I think about, you know, the example that I've used and is like, look at somebody like Justin Fields, you know, he transferred from Georgia because it wasn't the right fit for him. What if he had signed a quote unquote multi-year contract to be, uh, right. you know, the, the endorser of, uh, you know, the Athens, uh, you know, Toyota dealership or whatever, like, right. is he allowed out of that contract? Does he have to pay it back? And it's like, you know, we do these things that we think are so pro student athlete. And I think it's going to cause a lot of headaches, not just for the coaches, by the way, for the players, for the families. And, you know, whenever money gets involved, I'm not saying that, you know, we understand it's a billion dollar business, not saying they shouldn't get a bigger piece of the pie, but I think it's going to cause a lot of headaches. Not to end on a negative note, but it's just something I, I figured I'd ask you why I had you. So. Well, for sure. And I think the, the one thing that no one's talked about as far as the impact of this name, image, and likeness is, is this is just another opportunity, right? Another, another opportunity for schools to, to utilize that as an advantage. And I know for a fact, Ohio State's going to screw it up. Because they're already <laughs> talking about, I mean, they are, they're, 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 they're going to, they're talking about, they're going to demand anyone that comes to Ohio State or plays for Ohio State, they have to sign with IMG, who is Ohio State's agency, and it's uh -huh. going to kill them in recruiting. And so you're going to see some teams that say, you know what? Sign with who you want. We'll help you make deals. Like it's it's just another money grab for schools to utilize to help get kids to come there. And recruiting is going to change, man, a lot. I'm not looking forward to it, but I want to end on a positive note. Zach, dude, you've been so awesome, man. Thank you so much for your time, for your insight. You know, I told you privately, but, you know, one of my buddy, one of my really good friends loves listening to your podcast. I think, frankly, more than mine, which was a little <laughs> bit offensive. But, uh, you know, dude, you just deliver so much freaking knowledge, dude. And so I so appreciate it. Uh, Zach Smith, the host of the Menace to Sports podcast. If you want that kind of college football insight, uh, check out what he does because he's dropping all sorts of knowledge like that. Dude, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Thank you for the time. And uh, we got two good college football games coming out. Well, at least one good college football game coming on Sunday or uh, Friday. So. Right, nope. And we got Cincinnati, Georgia. That could be the second one, right? There you go. <laughs> upset. Upset. I appreciate it, man. Luke uh, Fickle. I upset. hope so. Yeah, I hope too. so. I, I'm, I'm, I'm picking it, but only because I want it to happen. All right, Zach Smith, Menace to Sports Podcast. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.